the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Afternoon Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. You need only to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, uh, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight being Wednesday, I'm going to be finishing 2 Kings chapter 4. Elisha is an amazing study. Um, So much. Uh, practical application for those of us who are New Testament Christians. That is tonight. You can watch it at calvarysa.com by live stream, or you can join us. You would be blessed by the people, and uh, we've always got room on Wednesday night. So that is going on tonight, and tomorrow Paula, of course, will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. Well, let me get to questions while we await your phone calls and the questions being sent in. Uh, our first one is from Nacho from our email inbox. He said, Pastor Ron, what does Paul mean in Romans fifteen twenty to 22? Is his reasoning for not yet visiting Rome because there's already an established church there, so he doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation? Or is it because there are many regions in the empire that have yet to receive the gospel, and so he sees it as his first priority? Um, not sure. I think you've nailed it. I think that's exactly why, um, you know, Paul, um, uh, he says in, in verse 20 of the passage you, you asked about, that he doesn't want to build on anybody else's foundation. And he was being led by the Holy Spirit. You remember, there's a lot of times he wanted to go into Asia Minor and yet the Spirit prevented him. Uh, there was a lot of places he wanted to go. But he was on a schedule. And he went uh, to Rome on God's timing, not his own. We also know what he didn't know at the time, that when he went to Rome, I find the the, the letter to the Romans fascinating because God says, uh, or Paul says the, through the Holy Spirit, that he says to the Romans at the very beginning of the book, that I know when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of God's blessing. And yet when he finally came to Rome, it was, uh, he would, that's where he would be imprisoned. He would come to Rome after having been arrested in Jerusalem. And, uh, and his trip to Rome was, was anything but what we would consider the blessing of God. Um, and, and yet he understood that that was the perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will of God for his life. So he was on God's timetable, Nacho, and not his own. Um, I, I also um, want to emphasize the, the 
urge Paul had. This, this, it's, it's like an itch that couldn't be scratched uh, to preach the gospel where nobody else had gone. And he said, uh, that's why, in verse 22, he answers the question, this is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Uh, he had to go to people who hadn't yet heard. And I think that's a really important thing. This is nothing to do with Paul, but, you know, we have uh, churches that are planted all the time. And especially in, in places like Southern California uh, or or Florida, um, and, you know, nice places, well-to-do places especially. Uh, there's, there's always people who feel like they're called to, to proclaim the gospel in those places. Um, the reality is those places don't need more churches. And there are places in this country uh, where you could look, and, and I'll just use Calvary Chapel as an example. You could look on the Calvary Chapel church map, and, and you could find um, in California and Florida, there, there are churches so close that you can't find space to put them on the map without overlapping. And yet there's places all over this country, um, the, the, the Northwest, um, and I don't mean the the coast, but in a little bit um, uh, in the south, other places where where there's plenty of room and plenty of need for Bible teaching churches. So I think this is something that the church needs to really consider. Uh, I keep thinking, Nacho, about us coming here 27 years ago. Uh, when I got here, there was one Calvary Chapel here. Uh, that was operating, and yet it was about to close. I didn't know it at the time, but it was about to close. The pastor there had been going through some difficult things. And so we got here, we were all on our own, and nobody knew who Chuck Smith was, nobody knew Calvary Chapel was. Um, And and now we've got uh, 82 or three churches, I think, in Texas. Uh, I was the fourth Calvary Chapel, I think, in Texas when we got here. And um, um, we really need to focus on those areas um, like we did 27 years ago where, where there, there isn't a preponderance of Christian testimony or Christian witnesses. So, so um, Paul's a good example for us, as always. He's a good example. I was listening to a, a radio show yesterday, a morning show. And the uh, I, I I wasn't in the car long enough to to get to the end of the story, but um, this radio host it was a secular show, but he was talking about uh, he's just about to read a book on the Apostle Paul, and he says he says I'm not much of an expert on Paul, but I just got a book on Paul, and I wanted to see where it was going, and then I had an appointment, so I had to get out of the car. Uh, but uh, let me re- recommend a book to all of you. Um, you want to understand the heart of Paul. Uh, read the book by F.F. F. Bruce, that's Frank Frank, F.F. F. Bruce, called The Heart of the Apostle Set Free. It is, I think, the preeminent work on the Apostle Paul's life, and it has been uh, a blessing that the, the moment I walked into Bible college and found that book, um, um, it, it's been a blessing to me for a long, long, long time. And you really understand the heart of a man who changed the world, who was used by God to change the world. Thank you for the question, Nacho. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's a question from Anonymous from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor. Good day to you, and I pray for you and Paula daily. Let me stop there for a moment. Anonymous, thank you. You have no idea what that means to me. You have no idea what that means. Thank you very, very much. And then he says, or she says, as Christians, should we not watch any or all rated R movies? What if it's said that the movie has no foul language or nudity, just gore, um, referencing the movie Beast with Idris Alba? Um, I like Idris Alba, but I can't watch most of his movies. And then he describes the, 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 the movie, what it's about, uh, and it's just basically violence. Uh, he says, the Lord's name is not used at all, just multiple uses of the F word, severe violence uh, and gore, as well as frightening scenes, some frontal male nudity and sexual inferences. Um, uh, and then he's got another question. I'll get to that in just a moment. Um, anonymous, I, I, I won't make rules for anybody else. Uh, I have been convicted by the Lord not to watch R-rated movies. Uh, a long time ago, soon, in fact, as I was called to be a pastor. Now, I've always been a movie geek. I love movies. I've always watched them. Um, they played a very important role in my life when it was falling apart. Movies did. 
Uh, of course, I wasn't saved at that time. But uh, here's the thing. When, when I knew I was called to be a pastor, I knew there were some things that God was asking me to set aside, and one of them was R-rated movies. Now, I'm not a prude. Um, I realize that some movies are rated R because of violence. Um, there are movies that I wanted to see. Schindler's List was an example. Um, I couldn't see that because it was rated R. And again, this is just my personal conviction, and I would not put this burden on anybody else. Uh, but um, uh, I, I just, I, I just couldn't imagine walking out of an R-rated movie and running into somebody for the church and possibly being a stumbling block for them. Now, while I'm free to watch movies uh, and I may not be stumbled by some of the things that other people are, this is one of those uh, Romans 13 uh, um, items where you, you, you sacrifice your freedom for the benefit of others. And I was happy to do that. It hasn't really been a sacrifice at all. So my personal conviction, and this is just for me, and Paula is um, um, in agreement with this for me, or with me, uh, we do not go to R-rated movies. Um, <clears throat> personally, I don't go to movies where God's name is taken in vain um, for a completely different reason because it's, um, it's, it's offensive to me. It hurts. And uh, I wouldn't want to do that. Um so I don't care. I'm, again, I'm not a prude. I, I realize the world curses. I hear worse language at the gym uh, than we hear in these movies. So uh, this is just for me, Anonymous. And you've got to make your own choice. Romans fourteen twenty three says that anything not of faith is sin. And so you've got to be convicted in your own heart what's right and what's not. I've gone to movies with people from the church. Uh, and, and the people of church, this is family to me. And um, uh, they'll we'll watch a movie and God's name is taken in vain. I'll get up and leave. And I don't expect them to do that. Uh, that would be going beyond what the Bible says. That's between them and the Lord. And for me, I just can't deal with it. But, but um, um, other people um, have no such restriction. So... Uh, this isn't a question that can be answered. It has to be answered individually by every Christian. The only thing I would say to you, Anonymous, is be very uh, certain that you're not um, being disobedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life. So I wouldn't go see this movie for a lot of reasons, but braided R is, is uh, I just wouldn't want to run anybody from church from it. Uh, the other question is this one. What are your thoughts on Pastor Sean Azaro with River City Community Church? Is he okay to listen to? Uh, I like Sean. I, I don't know him uh, personally. I mean, I've met him, but I don't know him uh, personally. But I think he is a, uh, a, a pretty gifted Bible teacher. He is a wonderful communicator. And because he, um, um, I, I, again, I think he's, he's solid. I listen to him. He actually comes on the radio I think uh, right after this program, I'm not sure which station, if it's this one or, or the other Christian station in town. Um, but, uh, yeah, I listen to him. Uh, if I'm in the car, uh, I get to listen to him um, with some regularity, and I think he's just fine. Uh, speaking of this, I had another question that came in that I forgot to, to click off. I was asked about Ray Brown uh, from... Uh, Resurrection Baptist Church in church. And they also have another um, campus in North Central San Antonio as well. Um, and uh, I, I actually get to listen to Ray Brown quite a lot. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm getting boring in my old age. I'm early to bed and uh, I don't sleep really well. So I, I go to sleep with radio in my ear and he comes on at 10 o'clock. He also... Um, um, follows our program we're on at nine thirty, uh, on 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 the radio and he his program comes on at 10 o'clock and uh, so i listen to ray brown quite a bit and he's another one that i think is gifted uh his style is completely different than mine that is to say he has a style and i don't but uh but ray brown uh is um uh, he's gifted uh, again completely different style um, and and uh, service order and all that stuff. But uh, I enjoy listening to him. 
Um, certainly, I don't agree with everything that he says. I don't agree with everything everybody anybody says, but but uh, uh, I I actually enjoy listening to uh, to Pastor Ray Brown, and and I would um, not hesitate to recommend him to others as well. I think sometimes it's really good to sort of get out of our box and listen to other people, and I think we can exercise discernment. No. Um, what's good, what's bad, but uh, with Sean Azaro and and uh, Pastor Ray Brown as well, I just don't think there'd be any issue at all regarding um, why that would be a, a difficulty. We've got Matthew from Cibolo on line one. Matthew, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hey, Pabaron, nice to uh, talk to you hey. again. Hi, Matthew. Hope you're having a good day. <laughs> I, am, I had a thanks. quick question. You know, I always come to you as my father in the Lord. Um, so on Sunday, I went to a a viewing. My 34-year-old cousin died unexpectedly. And um, he died on thir- on Friday of last week. And we, um, we buried him on Monday. But we had the viewing on Sunday. It was a strictly Catholic, um, Catholic family, as I mentioned to you in the past. You know, none of my family is you know, declares professed Christianity. But anyway, so I went there, and um, I, I hugged my cousin, his mom. Um, and the first thing she said is, like, my son is not suffering, and he's in heaven. And, you know, I didn't think it was the right time to, you know, basically tell him not he's not. But in that circumstance, when I do have that conversation with her, how would I present that? You know, how can you help me um, present that to people that, we know it didn't live a life of the of the Lord, and we're never saved. That's all I have. Thank you, Papa. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you very much. I'm sorry for your loss. That's that's tough. Uh, you exercise good discernment. Uh, the funeral was certainly not a place to say, "Well, no, he's being uh, tormented in in hell." Um, 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 so we're there to comfort. Uh, we're there to grieve. Um, the difference is we grieve differently than people with no hope. And in a Catholic funeral, the people don't really know they don't have any hope. Here's uh, what what I would do when it comes time for that question. I wouldn't mention at all um, what he's dealing with. I would just say, here's what he would say to you now. And Matthew, I always use Luke chapter 16. It is a real story, not a parable. And um, I think it was included in our scripture for this particular purpose. Um, uh, in that story, of course, there is a, a rich man who's being tormented in the uh, in the, the eternal torment part of, of the abyss. And he's trying to get somebody to go to his uh, living family members and, and tell them uh, that Jesus is real, that, that they must believe. And the, the reality is that uh, Catholics believe they're saved. They believe they're saved by being baptized as an infant, uh, being part of the church, by going to Mass, um, taking the Eucharist, which is the bloodless sacrifice of Christ repeatedly over and over again. Uh, that's their own um, catechism. And um, um, what we want to say is, look, Jesus said you must be born again, and here's what your son would say if he were here to you and you can read it to her right out of Luke chapter 16 and you don't even have to address the fact that he is in the place of torment. Uh, if she asks, are you trying to say that he is in hell and he's suffering? Um, then your answer could simply be, all I'm interested in telling you is that if he were here, if he could talk to you, this is what he would say to you. You need Jesus. Believe him. What did God say? This is my son. Listen to him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is why, because Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's not the Catholic Church, as you know, Matthew. Um, So uh, that's the way you share with it. You have that conversation in love. You have it with tenderness and gentleness. Uh, But at the same time, um, you say this is what he would say. I actually use that, uh, Matthew, uh, every time I do a funeral uh, with somebody who is not a believer, or if we're not sure that they were a believer, uh, it's easy for me to say, let me tell you what your departed loved one would, would say to you right now. If he or if she is in heaven, they would say, Jesus is real, it's the only way. If he or she is in that place of torment, they would say, 
don't make the same mistake I did. And I think that's fairly effective. So we've been using it for a very, very long time. Thank you very, very much. Sorry again for your loss. Here's a question that was called in anonymously um, to the studio. Uh, has Pastor Ron read Randy Alcorn's book about heaven? Um, that's the title of the book. It's titled Heaven. Uh, I have not anonymous read it. Uh, I know a lot about it. Um, my problem with the book of heaven. Now, uh, Randy Alcorn has had some uh, slightly goofy things that he's believed in the past. Um he describes the book, or the book is described by the publisher as a comprehensive guide to everything the Bible says about our eternal home, um, and then supposedly clear answers to 44 real questions about the afterlife, angels, resurrection, and the kingdom of God. However, uh, the Bible doesn't say that much about heaven. Um, you know, and I just, I think Randy Alcorn's book is like 400 pages. And uh, there's just not that much information about heaven. And so necessarily there's a lot of speculation. And I prefer uh, Anonymous to get my information about my future home. Um, I, I prefer to get that from the Word of God. Um, I don't need any more information than the Bible gives us. And I think any time that we speculate beyond what the Bible says, we're, we're on pretty shaky ground. So uh, I haven't read it for that reason uh, but I've had questions about that book many, many times on this program, and I have looked at excerpts of it, and I have read other pastors' reviews of it. Um, um, Randy Alcorn uh, is clearly a gifted writer, and um, uh, I know some people who have been comforted by the book. Uh, on the other hand, I just don't really see any value in it at all. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. Half hour is going fast. Here is a question from another anonymous. This one from our phone, our mobile app. Uh, since Satan is a fallen angel, does that mean that angels have free will like us? Uh, anonymous, it, it does. It means that they had free will one time. No longer do they. Uh, there's a different standard. Uh, humans, we have free will. Um, we can we can make choices every single day, and it, as long as we have life, we can exercise our free will to believe in Jesus. Not so with the angels. The angels who stood in the presence of God, and that's the thing that you have to understand. That's why the standard is different. Uh, it's not because God is unfair, but these angels stood in the presence of God. Uh, Lucifer is often uh, referred to uh, based on the, the description of him in the King James Version of Ezekiel 28 as the worship leader in heaven. We know that Lucifer was God's most beautiful angel. Um, Jesus said, too much is given, much is required. And the idea there is much more is required. And uh, so they had a choice. When he led the rebellion, one-third of the angels uh, fell with him. Um, now those angels are demons um, of varying degrees of power and and uh, and and wickedness, but but they're they're opponents of God, uh, and they had a one-time only choice, and that's important because um, their lot has already been cast, and what that means is that because they've fallen, they're going to spend forever in the lake of fire. Now, again, we get multiple choices, Anonymous, uh, but that's not the case with angels. It reminds me that there are other books out there. Uh, I think Randy Alcorn has written one about angels as well. Um, and there's just we just don't get that much information. I think what we've got to do is be prepared uh, to get our information that we can count on from the Word of God. And... Um, Angels had a one-time-only choice. Too much is given, much is required. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. 340-9585. I've got two minutes, so I can get one more question. Uh, Barbara says, uh, I better do this because I don't have time for Barbara's yet. Veronica says, why did Peter, James, and John fall asleep in the garden with Jesus? Well, uh, a couple of reasons. One, they were 
exceptionally tired. Now, you know, there, there's uh, the, the air was heavy. It was it was cold. They'd been through the most emotional of days, the most emotional of days, and they were just worn out. And when Jesus said, "Stay awake and pray." He wasn't asking them to pray for him. He was saying, you guys pray. You be on guard. This is a time when you need to watch out. He, of course, knew what was going to happen to them. Um, but, you know, they were humans. And they went in, and Jesus was in the garden. You can imagine the piercing screams of Jesus as he was crying out uh, for another way if this cup could pass. And they would they, they, they would listen to the agony he was in as he sweat great drops of blood. Um, and it was just too much for him, and they fell asleep three times. And Jesus three times came back and said, "Can't you stand with me for one hour?" And they couldn't, so it was tired. I don't know if you've ever been emotional enough, Veronica, where uh, the only thing that could give you any relief was just falling asleep. It's sort of like the body's defense mechanism, and that's I think what Peter, James, and John. Uh, were guilty of. You know, there's a lot of preaching. Well, you know, they were sleeping when they should have been praying or they should have been on guard. Uh, It's not quite that easy. It's not quite that easy. So I think they're just humans who fell asleep. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our show today. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Kevin from our email inbox. Greetings, Pastor Ron. I enjoy listening to your program with the wisdom you have. Yet I have to disagree with this topic given. I And I don't mean anything unkind by this, Kevin. But um, when, whenever a question starts like this, it's like God has given you wisdom, but you're completely wrong on this. And then, um, Kevin, you're going to defeat your own argument. I just read the, the question. He says, as I listened to the radio program on Monday of this week, when the caller asked about the Torah, please keep in mind many people still follow the Torah. When you gave the answer, Christ has given us a new covenant, and the old is no longer, I'm not clearly understanding the way you stated it seems like most people think they don't have to follow the Ten Commandments, because as you stated, we're under grace. To me, and that's what's important, Kevin, to you, this gives people a license to sin, because they will tell themselves that we're under grace and continue to do so. I'd be very careful explaining this. Also, if you read Hebrews 8.10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Could you please explain how the covenant was changed? According to this verse, Christ continued to speak about his laws. He never stated throughout the old covenant, please explain. Kevin, he explained over and over about throwing out the old covenant, He did it through the Apostle Paul. Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant. Now, a couple of things that that I want to start. There are many people who still follow the Torah, but that doesn't make them right. The Torah is of no use other than it was originally purposed to demonstrate to the people of Israel. Of Israel. And that's exactly what your Hebrews thing says. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. And he will make that covenant again with Israel in the millennial reign. However, the nation of Israel, not individual Jews. But here's what you have to understand. He made that covenant with the house of Israel. Kevin, he didn't make it with you. And he didn't make it with me. And I don't understand why that disconnect uh, doesn't connect for you and for others. Who, well, no, you've got to keep the law. You've got to keep the law. Um, we, we, we don't. We've been freed from the law. The law has been fulfilled. The covenant, Paul says, that stood opposed to us has been canceled. Now, with regard to the, new, the, the Ten Commandments, 
I also said on Monday that, and you evidently didn't hear, Kevin, I said that nine of the ten commandments are repeated in the New Testament. Just different ways, but the same thing is said. And because we're under a new covenant, the new covenant uh, expressed in the in the New Testament, then certainly we don't have the freedom just to sin. But the Apostle Paul, he said, and he dealt with this, Romans chapters 5, 6, and 7, he uses his own um, autobiographical experience. He says, um, uh, where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. And then he says, what shall we say then? Because grace abounds, shall we continue to sin? And he says, God forbid. Now, here's the thing, Kevin. When people are trying to use the law to govern behavior, well, if you don't tell them they can't do this, then they're going to continue to sin because they're going to misuse grace. Well, that's their problem. They have to deal with that with the Holy Spirit. Paul isn't giving anybody a license to sin. Certainly, I've never given anybody a license to sin. Anybody who's ever sat in our church knows how direct I am when it comes to being obedient. Obedience is the source of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we're not obedient, we have no power in our lives. And I say often the man or the woman that can sin without thinking about, well, you know, God's going to forgive me, so I might as well go ahead and sin. That's a man or woman who's not really converted. That's what the Apostle Paul says. That's one of the corrections that Paul is giving. I believe Paul to be the writer of Hebrews. Um, Paul is giving to the, the church of, those, of, the, of the Hebrews. He's telling them, be on guard against those very things. And the minute, Kevin, that we start telling people that you have to keep the commandments or you're going to abuse grace, we're going beyond what the Bible says. Uh, every one of us is responsible to God for our own walk. Now, I want to reinforce something, Kevin. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. It doesn't say that covenant is made with you. And the, the, the idea uh, that, um, well, Israel was God's people, and now we're God's people, so that same covenant with us is to, is to, to be lazy in, in understanding our Bible. There's a covenant he made with Israel. He did not make that covenant with you. He did not make that covenant with me. For this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. Let me address one other issue here, Kevin. I said a moment ago that people that can sin continually without thinking about it. Oh, well, God will forgive me. I said they weren't converted. Those are the people who have no understanding about what God's really done. And our response to grace ought to be to pursue holiness with far more fervor than anybody ever pursued it by keeping the, 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 the law. Even the Apostle Paul said, with regard to righteousness and zeal, I was faultless concerning the law, but my zeal was without knowledge. And if what I said on Monday and have said repeatedly to questions like this is giving people liberty to sin, well, then the Apostle Paul is way guiltier of that than I am. So here's you've got to learn to study your Bible, Kevin. Um, the fact that a lot of people believe Torah doesn't make them believers. Uh, the fact that converted Jews, and there are a lot of Messianic Jews who hold on to Torah with their fists very tight, um, but you're going to look at their lives and there's not a lot of fruit. We can't be compelled to obey. Our response is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. That's, that's our response under grace, and that is a much stricter burden than keeping the law. Now, are there, is there value to the Ten Commandments? Of course there is. Of course there is. Just like in the rich young ruler, they pointed out that he was guilty of sin. 
They're a schoolmaster, Galatians says, leading us to our need for Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount actually trumps the Ten Commandments and raises the standard. But Kevin, it seems like you want to use the Ten Commandments to restrict people's behavior. You're not the Holy Spirit. And so Torah had its place, had its time. But that time is no longer now. And his place is not in the New Testament church. Go to Acts chapter 15 and read the book of Galatians. Paul withstood Peter to the face over this issue. Paul went to the council in Jerusalem over this very issue. And the argument was the same then as the one you're making. No, you need the law. You've got to keep the law. Uh, otherwise, you're going, to have, you're going to feel like you have freedom to sin. Um, Nobody living with the Holy Spirit in them, nobody living with the Holy Spirit in them, Kevin, has freedom to sin. And it's very, very shallow faith that believes that a law that never could fulfill the purposes of God, reconciling mankind to himself, is going to then keep human beings from sinning just because God wrote it down. Paul said, I wouldn't have known what coveting was until I read the law that said, thou shalt not covet. Then he knew he was busted. The law, Torah, never accomplishes the purpose of God. So you defeated your own argument here with the Hebrews 8.10 passage. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. That's not you, Kevin, nor is it me. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Barbara that I didn't get to. She says, how important is it to ask forgiveness from someone you've wronged? If it's not possible, does it mean my prayers won't be heard? Um, Barbara, I think it's important to ask people to forgive you if you've wronged them. Um, You know how important? I think it's really important because it demonstrates an honest humility. It demonstrates genuine sorrow godly sorrow for the thing that you've done. I don't know why you wouldn't want to ask somebody for forgiveness um, uh, if you've wronged them. Um, If it's not possible, for example, if somebody's already dead, um, then no, it doesn't mean your prayers won't be heard, but it does mean that you need to make that confession to the Lord. Father, this I, I, I wronged this person. I never got a chance to tell him. Um, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. And then, of course, your prayers are heard. Your relationship with God is is renewed. Um, it's very important. Um, we got to be honest with people. we got to be honest with ourselves. I think sometimes we just hope that those old problems, those old things that we did, will sort of fade away. And they never really do if you, if you haven't asked for forgiveness for those things. Um, now, the people may not forgive you, but that's not up to you. That's up to them. But but I think it's really important. It's an acknowledgement that what I did was wrong. It hurt you. And I'm sorry. And I, I, I ask you, please, to forgive me. I even tell people if it's something like that, I would, I would tell them, look, you may not want to forgive me. I don't deserve it. But I'm a Christian now. And what I did was just wrong. I'm sorry. And then leave it in their hands. So that's how important it is. Uh, if you're if if there's somebody who's alive, and you're not willing to do it because you you don't want to admit that you were wrong, uh, then then pretty much your prayers are going to be hindered from being heard. Joseph says, Pastor Ron, what's the best way to make sure we know God's voice from the enemies or even from our own thoughts? Joseph, there's only one way. Um, it's the word. You got to know the Bible. Uh, the more you dig into your Bible, um, the more you're going to be able to understand and discern that still small voice of God. Uh, but if you don't know the Bible, then you're fair game and the enemy is going to shout things. That's why we're told in First John chapter 4 to test the spirits because not every spirit is from the Lord. Uh, there's seducing spirits out there. There's lying spirits out there. Um, so, so we've got to know the word. Um, Demonic spirits are speaking all the time. 
And if you don't know the Bible, you won't be able to discern which is from God and which is from the enemy. Uh, I think even more problematic, Joseph, is the things that, that we think we hear from the Lord. And as soon as we think we're doing something, the enemy comes, oh, that wasn't God, that was just you. Or um, uh, or the, 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 the demonic spirits will reinforce something if if they believe that to be wrong. Um, but But the more you dig into your Bible, the clearer... God's voice is going to become hearing the voice of God uh, and and I want to make this really clear Um, 95 and this is just the number I'm making up 95% of the time to hear from God comes from his word I'll be reading the Bible the Lord will speak to my heart he'll answer a question that I have it's the word, the word, the word but we also have a living personal relationship with God he lives with us. And I tell you all the time, just be with Jesus in this program. And when we're with Jesus, we talk to him and he talks to us. And there are things that God will put on our hearts. Uh, I couldn't go to the Bible when God told me to begin praying for the people of San Antonio to get confirmation. But I knew that was the Lord speaking to my heart. But in order to do that, you've got to be able to recognize the voice of the Lord. And the only way we can really recognize the voice of the Lord is get to know it. And that comes from the Word. So it's very, we've we got to be very careful. I have people for years and years coming to me saying, well, God said to do this, or God told me to do this. And what God told them to do, their description was completely opposite of what the Bible says. And I have to tell them, no, God didn't say that. And other people get angry with me. Well, I know when God is speaking to me, but God can't contradict himself. That's why you've got to know the Word. Remember, there's an enemy out there yelling and screaming at us. He's trying to throw us out of the will of God. He's trying to get us out of the place of blessing and protection. And so he's going to be trying to confuse us. It's that straightforward. Um, so you've got to know the word. And then you've got to spend enough time listening for the voice of God that you're able to discern it. And even then, even then, when you think you've heard God speaking something to your heart, that's when you've got to verify that in the Word of God. Don't trust your impressions. Don't trust what somebody else says, even if they claim to be speaking for the Lord. It's the Word, the Word, the Word. And the more you know of the Word, the easier it's going to be to identify the voice of God. And I say this, Joseph, I, um, I don't know how many times over the 31 years I've been saved, uh, the, 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 the voice of God has been so clear. One, I know when I was called to be a pastor, um, 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 that was actually, I was listening to a Bible study on the radio, and it was like Jesus was in the front seat of the car with me um, when he told me to pray for the people of San Antonio. And then a couple weeks later, he said, this is where he'd be waiting for us. I can't find that in the Bible. But you see, I spend so much time talking to him that you get to know his voice. Now, there's been a lot of times when the enemy has tried to interrupt that. There's a lot of times when the enemy masquerades as an angel of light. That's Paul's description. And and he'll say something, and, and instantly I'll know, discernment, I'll know, that's not you, Lord. And I'll just tell the Lord, you, you deal with him. I, I know that's not your voice. But he's out there shouting, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And it's not, so we've got to know train ourselves to hear and discern the real voice of God. That's how important this issue is, Joseph. Um, Jesus lived and he died and he was raised from the dead. Uh, so we would have a relationship that would extend beyond just the Bible. And there are things that God will say to your heart at just the right time, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Um, um, he'll give you direction um, and, and in your time in the Word, you'll get confirmation of those things. But you've got to know His Word. And you've got to immediately disqualify anything that you think God is speaking to your heart that is going to be contrary to the already revealed Word of God that we have in our Bibles. I hope that makes sense to you, Joseph. Appreciate the question. Kent wants to know, what does being a living sacrifice to God look like practically? Um, Kent, uh, I don't know how practical this is for you. It's the way of life that, that, 
that Christians need to adopt. Um, Paul says that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. First, it means be holy and pleasing to the Lord. Paul writes to the Ephesians, find out what pleases the Lord. That's got to be the goal of our life. So if I'm a living sacrifice, i got to get up every day and say, okay, Jesus, what about me and what about today? You're in charge, I'm not. I call you Lord, you're the boss of me. And then you got to be able to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to live a life that's holy and pleasing to you. That means I'm not going to do things that are questionable. And if I do those things, if I fall into temptation uh, because of weakness or whatever else, uh, then I'm going to repent very, very quickly. Very, very quickly and, and get right back on that place where I can say, God, okay, lead me, you guide me. Jesus is my sheep, know my voice. I call them by name and they follow me. Um, you're a living sacrifice, not if you're asking Jesus to follow you, but you got to be following him. And I think it just, it, Ken, it's just nothing more than really, truly understanding who's in charge in your life. And the moment you take offense to that or the moment you decide, I'm going to do this, this is what I want to do, and we rationalize it all kinds of ways, trying to remain spiritual sounding. Um, then, then we we're, we're no longer sacrificing to the Lord. We're we're doing what we want. So it really boils down to saying yes to God. And in order to say yes to God, we got to say no to ourselves. That's what a living sacrifice looks like practically. One other word picture. When you go to the uh, the, uh, the the uh, fat offerings uh, in the Old Testament, they're a wonderful picture of of uh, an animal being put out on the uh, on the altar. You know the the innards being taken out, the offal taken out. The offal is the waste products, and then they're thrown fat and all on the altar, and you can imagine how that smelled. You can imagine how delicious the smell of that really was. And, but but when, when it was done, there was nothing left of the animal, just ashes. Well, when we offer our bodies as living sacrifice to the Lord, that means there's nothing left for us. Nothing at all can't left for us. It's all his. And that's when we get to that place. The rest of Romans 12 2 says, right, following that, that, that brothers, I urge you passage, he says, then, only then will you be able to test and approve what God's perfect, pleasing, acceptable will is. And just prior to that, he says, of course, uh, no, no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's perfect will. So it looks every day getting up and saying, Jesus, uh, what's on your agenda for me? When Paul and I are walking and we're praying together, that's one of the things we pray, Lord, uh, I don't know what your plan for Paul is. I mean, i got a general idea what's on her schedule. But, but Lord, here's what I want to do. I, I, I want you to bless Paula, whatever you have on her agenda, on your agenda for her, fill her with your spirit. And that's that's what sacrifice means. It means doing what he wants instead of what we want, and then having the faith to understand that once we do that, we're going to learn the secret of being content in every circumstance. That secret is knowing that what he wants for us is way better than anything that we wanted. Thank you for that question. Here's the last one for the day from Pablo. He says, Mormons believe in Jesus, so why do some people say they're not Christians? Uh, They believe in Jesus, but they don't have the Jesus of the Bible, Pablo. That's why they're a cult, along with Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, that's why they're a cult. Uh, they've changed the nature, the character of God. Um, so Jesus is not God. The Mormon Jesus is not the creator of all things. He is the Son of God. That's their language. But he's not God the Son. And the reality is that Mormons believe that he is, Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, Sort of like, you know, you have a good kid and a bad kid raised in the same home. Um, well, Jesus was a good kid. Not not so. Jesus is not a created being. He is creator God. Nothing has been made that wasn't made by him, we're told in the Gospel of John. So 
um, their Jesus isn't a Jesus adequate to save. Only God can forgive sins. That's clear in the gospel accounts um, of uh, of our Lord. Um, and so if Jesus isn't God, as he repeatedly said he was, if he isn't God, then he can't forgive our sins. And Mormons have a God, a Jesus, who isn't God at all. Same thing is true with Jehovah's Witnesses at the, in the same place. So, Pablo, I hope that answers your question. Be careful what... Um, you, same words don't mean same meanings. And they'll use same words. Salvation, uh, Jesus died for my sins. Uh, but if it's not the right Jesus who's on that cross, then it isn't a God who is capable of forgiving our sins at all. And we're all lost. So that's why they're not Christians. Pablo, thanks very, very much. Hey, we're about out of here for today. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be teaching Second Kings chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 8 and finish the chapter, I hope and pray. Uh, tomorrow, Paulo will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. And uh, if you have any questions or need any source of encouragement at all, we'd love to do that as well. Um, I don't think I have a one minute or less than a minute question. So I don't. So let me just say this. God loves you. He died for your sins. He suffered torment so you wouldn't have to. And if you need any more evidence that God loves you than that, I don't know what you'd need. And for Kevin and the others, grace is a wonderful thing. And we never trample on the grace of God by presuming that I can sin and God will just forgive me. Is that a human condition? Yeah. But we still have no right to change what the Word says. Again, we'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock, Paula and I, on AM 630, The Word. The Word, may the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you then. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.